Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast about people who, on the surface, appear to be totally ordinary. Scratch the surface and you find amazing stories and ideas. Sean Kelter is the most super fit person I know. My friend Sean Kelter is a chiropractor, but he is also a weightlifter, a runner, a P90X fan, a guy who plays multiple sports, a sincere Christian, a happily married husband with three kids, a reader, and someone who has made a lifelong study of all things health, and not just exercise and nutrition. Sean also does his best, as someone who helps people become mobile again, to live without pain. Hey, Sean. Hello, Tim. Sean, you're my go-to guy when it comes to all things, all things fitness. I'd like to start with nutrition. There's a lot of plans out there. For example, there's paleo, Whole30, the natural version of keto, there's veganism, vegetarianism, carnivore, there's eat with a balance, in quotes, and then there's the standard American diet, also known as SAD. Um, Before we get into what you do personally, can you tell us what you like and dislike about each one? And I'm kind of hoping you're going to answer in terms of achieving an ideal. I think there's plenty of people out there who are going to say things like, oh, well, you know, as long as you eat clean 75% of the time, then everything's going to be great. But I'm really thinking about the person who would be listening to you who is not wanting to just have good enough. This person wants to make 100% or at least a 99% not just a B minus or a B. So that being said, what are your thoughts on the paleo eating plan? Sure. Um, Well, you asked what I, you know, there's a lot of plans out there. I've heard of most of them. Uh, There are a couple of them I haven't heard of before. Like I haven't heard of eat with a balance, but uh, I've obviously heard of vegetarianism, even the carnivore diet, which I know you've done um, a lot of personal, uh, experimentation with or you have a lot of experience with. Um, <clears throat> before I get into that, yeah, just thanks for all those kind words at the beginning. I'm not sure I can live up to all of those props, but I uh, humbly accept them. And um, nutrition is a part of the work that I do, you know, being a chiropractor and helping people just become the healthiest version of themselves. Uh, nutrition is a part of that. So uh, it, it, in a way, it's my job to know a little bit about nutrition, but I am certainly far from an expert in nutrition. So I'll do my best to kind of hit on some of these plans that are out there that you mentioned. Um, it's, it's difficult in one way because what we know always seems to be changing. Uh, and there's a lot of literature out there and a lot of confirmation bias out there. People wanting to you know, believe that oh, a keto diet is the, is the greatest thing ever. Um, or you have to be a vegan or you have to be a vegetarian for this reason and that reason. Um, so yeah, again, there's a lot of information, you could call it misinformation, but what seems like misinformation today could become like not misinformation tomorrow. It's always changing and, uh, it's hard to keep up with all the changing tides. And I'll be honest, I don't always do the best job of keeping up. So again, with that disclaimer, uh, start with paleo. Paleo to me seems like the the eating plan or the eating method or the habits of eating that are most like what our ancestors from long, long, long ago used to do, right? Um, but they didn't die of heart attacks, as far as we know. Uh, they didn't die from obesity. They didn't die 
um, by suicide, you know, they didn't have a lot of anxiety, depression, again, as far as we know. They died because um, the tiger bite got infected or, you know, they were hunting bears and, you know, the bear got the best of a couple of the, the warriors or whatever. Um, uh, so, but they, while they were alive, they were thriving, they were healthy, they were vibrant, they were muscular, they were agile, all of those things. Um, so paleo seems to fit more with like our human genome because even though we're depending on your you know personal thought of thousands of years or um, you know millions of years uh, down the road so to speak from our ancestors who were here at the beginning of time um, or the beginning of creation uh, the, the genetics haven't changed the environment has changed drastically uh, meaning we sit more, we exercise less, we feel more isolated, we're not like in tribes or communities as much, you know, uh, but, but the genetics haven't really changed. And so if we wanted to eat for our genetic type, then it would make more sense, in my opinion, to eat more paleo. So that's, that's kind of the paleo, right? Um, if that answers that question. Yeah, and maybe I just want to make sure people know what we're talking about. Paleo, in one sentence, is to eat natural plants and animals. Mm -hmm. In other words, eat meat, fish, eggs, natural sources of protein, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, stop. Right. If something has got chemicals in it mm -hmm. or if it was synthesized in a lab, it's pretty much not paleo. Right. People overcomplicate this stuff, but basically the premise is, is that for two million years, this is what people ate. Right. And we're just not designed to eat Twinkies. Maybe in a million right. years, after a million years yeah. of evolution. But see, I would say no, because if we're talking two million years ago... The genetics are so slightly changed. Like it, again, they, we 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 blame things on genetics all the time. Like oh, obesity runs my family, heart disease runs my family. So what about your human family? What about mm. the human genome? It's relatively unchanged. So we can wait two million more years and see if our bodies are now genetically engineered to thrive on Twinkies. But if history has anything to tell us, like, that's not going to happen. It's going to take a lot longer than 2 million years. And now, you put a Twinkie aside for 70 million years, and the Twinkie would probably survive, and, you know, we'd, uh, maybe we get to that point where it becomes the best fuel for our bodies to burn. But, yeah, we're, we're not even close to being there yet. I think one other thing on paleo I should mention to people is that the general premise is that the caveman or cavewoman lived to be about 60 to 70 years old, mm. that they were lean, strong, relatively fast, and then just one day they dropped dead. Mm. Uh, assuming they didn't fall off of a cliff or get eaten by a bear, if they made it to old age, their bodies just simply wore out. But right. instead of having multiple health conditions along the way, mm. they basically thrived and then just one day faded away. Sure. So I, I don't know if we're going to be able to break down all of these to that degree, So, but I'll just give you kind of brief thoughts on Whole30. Whole30 we use a lot in, in my practice when, when we suspect that a person's illness or health complaint is, uh, is related to nutrition. Maybe they have a food sensitivity that they don't realize. Mm. So Whole30 is a whole food diet for 30 days. So you eliminate a lot of the junk 
a lot of the artificial stuff like you were talking about earlier from the diet for 30 days and you see how the person feels. And then you can slowly start to add some things back in and you see how their health returns to that like lower level that they were trying to escape. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of my experience with Whole30. Like I've done a 30-day whole food eating and it was great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's not something that I, that I do currently. I eat currently more of like a paleo diet, but I'm not so strict as to follow any of these methods to the T. That kind of answers your question of like, how does someone be 100%, make 100% or be an A student or A plus student, is you have to commit. Right? These are eating plans, meaning like they are, they have guidelines and you have to follow the guidelines. So if you want to be keto, be keto. I did keto for, I don't know, 110 days or something a couple years ago and it had some good and some bad. I lost 12 pounds that I didn't think I had to lose. Mm. I was weighing under 160 pounds for the first time since high school or something, right? Like I'm not wow. a, I wouldn't say I'm a fat guy, but I, I carry around about 170 pounds generally. And uh-huh. I thought that it, I was pretty lean. Um, and then all of a sudden I dropped 12 pounds and over the course of 100 days and felt like I was you know, a little more ripped than, than usual. My strength didn't decrease, but um, the thing I liked about keto, I'm going to kind of skip a little bit around here. I liked keto because keto initiates like fasting. And fasting is so important. We could talk, you know, for, for hours on just the importance of fasting, right? Yeah. And like a, for a spiritual practice, but also just for your health and well-being. Like fasting is very important for just normal human physiology. I think it's just another genetic sort of requirement that God programmed us to kind of thrive on fasting periodically. And so keto is one of the one of the plans you've listed here that enforces fasting. So you either eat like at a six hour window and then fast for 18 or you eat on an eight hour window and, and fast for 16 or, or maybe you just eat normally one day and then you only eat one meal the next day. But there's like, you can't just eat high fat foods and get into ketosis you have to also, to make the diet really work for you, you have to have these long periods where you're not eating anything at all. Now, fortunately, you, um, you get accustomed to fasting very quickly. You, after maybe a few days, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can go almost an entire day without eating anything and feel okay with it, right? It's, it's a mind over matter thing. You've already done it one day and you didn't die, so maybe you have less fear the next day. But also when your body gets into a place where it's burning ketone bodies as its primary source of fuel, as opposed to burning glucose and burning sugar, which is what your body does when you eat like a high sugar diet or just a quote unquote normal standard diet. Um, So your body is burning sugar. Well, your body burns that sugar up really quick. So you eat a high sugar meal and then two hours later, you may not be hungry, but you have a bit like of an appetite, like I need something or else I'm going to crash, you know, because your body's already burned up all that sugar and it's packed away the sugar that it didn't use into fat cells, right? And it's like, we need some more, eat something right now. And you're like, well, I need something. You go on this rampage of like, oh, look, a plate of cookies. Let me have a couple of those. But when your body gets into ketosis and you're burning ketone bodies, it's, it's pulling ketone bodies from your tissues, from your, it's, it's taking fat from your body, it's breaking it down, it's using these ketone bodies to, to burn fuel, and suddenly you find yourself walking past a plate of cookies and you're like, yeah, I'm all right without those. Like, I, you don't have this like glycemic roller coaster ride of, 
blood sugar's high, blood sugar's low, blood sugar's high, blood sugar's low. I need to eat something. No, I'm satiated. Oh, no, I, eat, I need something. It's more like level, steady, even keel. And I enjoyed that about the keto diet. But what I didn't enjoy is I wasn't creative enough. Mm. I mean, I can only eat so much bacon and eggs, mm. which I love, and sausage and chunks of cheese. And I was putting heavy, heavy cream in everything just to, like, give me some more calories and... Um, I, just, I ate way too much dairy, and I could feel it in my joints. I could feel a little bit inflamed. I wouldn't say I had any major issues. I didn't notice any skin issues or, or any real, like, itises flared up, like tendonitis or anything like that. But I just felt inflamed. I can't really explain it. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't feel incredibly healthy, but, uh, but I felt like my energy was sustained throughout the day. I felt like, even though I was hungry at times... My appetite was like satiated. I was okay. Uh, I enjoyed the fasting, but I uh, I need to yeah I need to find ways to just be maybe a bit more creative and clever. I also didn't feel like I was getting enough nutrients. You know, I'd eat a little bit of vegetables during the day, high fiber vegetables, and um, and I really wouldn't eat very much fruit because that would be a lot of sugar, sure. good sugars. I mean, you know, sugars that are also coupled with some fiber and some vitamins and minerals. Um, so it's not like a can of Coke or something, but, but still, I mean, you eat two cups of blueberries and you throw yourself out of ketosis. So, yeah, that's right. That's so. right. Well, people maybe understand, maybe they don't understand, but uh, a lot of people will define ketosis as you are getting roughly 70% of your calories from fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so how do you do that? Because here's another thing, this sort of floors me sometimes, but people need to know Fruits and vegetables are made up of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So there's really just three macronutrients. There's carbs, there's fat, and then there's protein. And most people are carb burners. Mm-hmm. And so a few people shift over into burning fat instead. Uh, and it has all these benefits, like you mentioned, that, oh, you know, you could fast. And some people don't eat for a day or two days or occasionally five days. You hear about Strange cases where people don't eat for a month. Mm-hmm. Gandhi fasted for two months and was absolutely fine. Well, how does he do this? He's in ketosis. He's burning fat. So it just, I guess just I'm issuing that as a point of clarification, sure. just so people know that this is a long-standing diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a few of the other benefits of fasting. Why do it? Like what helps your body? If I fast for a day or if I fast for two days, uh, what benefits do I accrue from that? Sure. Uh, it's a good question. You actually have a question later on in this interview. Uh, I think you want to talk about kind of stress and good stress versus bad stress. Yeah. So fasting could be, um, could be labeled as good stress. Now there are going to be some physiological things that happen to the body when it's in a fasting state. The body is going to release certain like human growth hormone, mm. you know, things like that. Um, now obviously chronic fasting would be starvation and that would be like chronic stress and that's going to kill the body ultimately if it's not if that stress isn't removed so chronic fasting or starvation would be a bad thing Um, but periodic fasting sort of acute fasting would be very very helpful Um, so yeah human growth hormone would be one thing but i'd say the biggest thing that it does is it helps get um, it helps get blood sugar under control People who eat high carbohydrate diets, they are constantly taxing their pancreas, right? Mm. So the pancreas is kind of like next door neighbor to the liver. The pancreas' job is to secrete insulin. When you eat a lot of sugar, 
that sugar can't just live in your body it, or in your bloodstream. It's got to get packed away or it can cause problems. It can okay. damage your vasculature, your blood vessels. So now we're talking like heart disease, stroke, that kind of thing. Mm. So you eat a high sugar diet, your body releases, your pancreas releases insulin. Insulin goes in, it grabs up all the sugar that your body's not using right now for energy and it packs it away, right? And it says, whew, okay, we're done. And then two hours later, boom, high, high sugar intake, your pancreas has to do it again, do it again, do it again. Well, after a while, your pancreas says like, I'm fatigued. And we call that type 2 diabetes because now your pancreas can't release enough insulin to do the job that it's designed to do and pack away all that sugar. And so now your blood sugar levels are through the roof and that's dangerous. So your doctor puts you on insulin, says, oh, you have diabetes. Like, what? I didn't have diabetes yesterday. Well, you have diabetes now because your pancreas is just pooped out. Well, you can reverse type 2 diabetes. You don't have to just take medication for the rest of your life. If you change your diet, a lot of good doctors, they might put you on medication, but they'll say, change your diet and exercise. Because if you do these things, and fasting can help with that, it helps get your blood sugar under control, so your pancreas has time to kind of recover. Um, and it's just good for mood, too. It... it, it uh, you know, being, being in a hyper-hypoglycemic roller coaster, like I mentioned earlier, meaning you're eating these high-sugar meals and all of a sudden your blood sugar's through the roof, then your pancreas does its thing. Okay, now your blood sugar is constant again. Well, then your blood sugar gets what your body thinks is too low, you get hangry, <laughs> right? you get agitated, you, you start feeling like voracious, like I just need to eat something, and uh, it, it's just not a good place to be. So fasting... Again, it just sort of helps get your your blood sugar um, sort of back under control. I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of lost it there at the end. It, it's that's kind of the best way I think I can explain it. No, I, I think you did a great job of explaining it. And the first, there were two questions I was going to ask, but I think you answered one. I have read that at this point there are at least ten years worth of medical studies mm. which indicate that a ketogenic diet reverses diabetes so is that is that true what i've read maybe um the only thing that i have seen as far as literature clearly proving a benefit of the keto diet it has to do with children and epilepsy okay there's also some theories out there about cancer because mm -hmm. cancer cells according to some research thrive on high sugar environments um but yeah i, I mean to me, sugar is probably the single biggest threat out there when it comes to nutritional health. So I am so anti-high sugar diet. Now, I love ice cream, right? I'm, I'm not against like a whiskey and coke, which is pretty much just like all alcohol. But I'm against those things frequently, like having them frequently. They shouldn't be staples in the standard American diet, which unfortunately they are. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I have a firm believer and proponent that high sugar diet is absolutely probably one of the most detrimental things to our to our health and well-being. I mean, this is going to be the second question I was going to ask, which is um, the, the way you described people needing sugar about every two or three hours, I thought, yeah, I did that for at least the first 40 years of my life. Mm -hmm. um, somebody would say, do you want something to eat? And I could always say, yeah, I wouldn't mind eating. 
And even when I ran marathons, I ran something like five marathons a year for 10 mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. uh, just like a calorie monster. Sure. And primarily carb-fueled, sugar-fueled, um, some protein, some fat. But, you know, just runners, we would have this saying, I ran 51 marathons. You know, you can eat anything you want. Mm -hmm. And I quickly found out that wasn't true because I started running at a later stage and sure. I needed every advantage I could get. And so that's kind of what led me into an epic study of nutrition yeah. and trying all these different diets. Something that I just really want you to speak to is some people view sugar as the root of all evil mm -hmm. in the nutritional world. Uh, can you, Sugar is a white powder. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, uh, it just it has it has no nutritional um, benefits. And that's really what it is. We get caught up in thinking sometimes that it's all about calories. You know, if I burn more calories than I consume, then I'm going to lose weight, right? I think the science is 3,500 calories equals roughly a pound of human weight. So if I burn 3,500 calories a week, meaning I eat 1,500 calories a day and I burn 2,000 calories a day. So that's 500 calories a day net loss over the course of seven days or a week. It would be 3,500 calories. I'll lose a pound a week. And that might be true, but if your 1,500 calories a day that you're eating have no nutritional value, meaning there are no vitamins in there, there's no minerals, there's no antioxidants in there, you're going to age mm. like quickly. You know, oh, I, I, I like to ride my bike 100 miles uh, east every Sunday, and then I stop at this pizza place, and I eat a large pizza, and I drink a pitcher of beer, and then I cycle back 100 miles. I just burned it all off, so I burned all that fuel. Is that great? And I would say, well, would you put, like, crummy, unleaded gasoline in your car? If you're driving, like, a fancy sports car that you cared about more than any other possession that you had, you're probably putting premium unleaded. Or maybe you're just putting regular unleaded because you think it burns clean enough, but you're not going to put some, if I told you oh, I have this unleaded gas, it's kind of as good as unleaded, but you know, it's got some things floating around and it'll still work and it'll still get your car from point A to point B, but it's going to gunk up your pipes going to leave residue in your exhaust system. Your car's not going to perform as well as a sports car should perform. Would you want to put that fuel in your car? You're like, well, it gets my car from point A to point B, but it's bad fuel. So sugar is fuel. It, it's, it's calorically fuel, but it's not good fuel. It's not clean burning. It doesn't provide the machine that it's fueling with any like real benefit, uh, and especially not long term because you drive your sports car around again for 20 years and then it just kind of like putters out and dies and you open up the exhaust, you run your finger around and it's just gunk everywhere. Mm. Like what's going on? It's like, oh, all those times you're burning that poor, like that poor quality fuel, you were leaving behind this gunk and eventually it killed your car. So I mean, maybe not like a great analogy, uh, but it's, it's kind of an analogy that kind of speaks to me the most about the quality of the fuel you put in your body is more important than just the amount of fuel. No, it works for me as an analogy because oil burns and kerosene burns, but mm -hmm. we don't put those in gas tanks. We right. try to put the right fuel in the right machine. Mm -hmm. So if to the degree that our body is a machine. Okay, yeah. so I think you've established sugar is nutritionally worthless, but 
does that mean it's neutral or does it have negative effects? If it has negative effects, what does it cause? Right. Well, again, we, we'll go back to the to the, the diabetes kind of talk. We were talking like type two diabetes about the pancreas's job of regulating blood sugar. If you ate nothing but sugar all day long, you would fatigue your pancreas in no time. You're mm-hmm. going to become a type two diabetic. Type two diabetics are not just people who are overweight. You see a lot of skinny type two diabetics. Okay. Um, they you can fatigue. If, again, if you have fifteen hundred calories a day and you're burning two thousand, okay, great. You've created a deficit there if you're trying to lose weight. But if all fifteen hundred of those calories are sugar, if you're drinking, oh, I drink like six cokes a day and I eat a couple candy bars, and really that's what I like to eat, and it, it only equals fifteen hundred calories, so that's what I'm going to eat. And say, well, okay, but. You're not going to feel very good. You're not going to be energized during the day, but also your pancreas is going to go kaput after a while. So, I mean, that that would be a big threat. Um, you know, it, could I say like, oh, well, sugar, it's going to give you cancer. Well, I, I don't know. Is it true that high sugar diets, cancer thrives on that? According to some research, yeah, it is. So if we believe that research, then, you know, you get cancer in 20 years, can we say, oh, it was because all the candy bars and Cokes that you were eating back in the day? No, we can't say that with certainty, but we can speculate. And I think finally, the proof is in the the pudding, you know, the the sugar-filled, all-dairy, over, <laughs> overly consumed pudding. The, the proof is there. So you, sh- you show me somebody, find me somebody who eats a high-sugar diet and is thriving with vibrant health, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rescind my... You'll my change your mind. Right? But I don't think that person exists. I've never met him, right? How about anxiety and depression? Does sugar drive anxiety and depression? Or if I gave up sugar, mm-hmm. do I get over my anxiety and depression? Yeah. Again, you don't have to look far to find studies that would confirm and say, yes, that there is a correlation, a link between, you know, um, between like high sugar diets and anxiety and depression and treating those diets with or treating those conditions with um, like a low sugar diet it's it's tough to speak on right it's a it's a um, it's a polarizing or volatile subject there's a lot of people out there with considerable anxiety and depression my heart goes out to them and some of them are my patients you know and some of them are friends of mine and there are many of them who resent the fact that they have any control over their emotional, you know, illnesses, you mm-hmm. know, this anxiety and depression. And so you have to kind of approach this subject with compassion, first and foremost, which is really how you should approach any subject. But um, to try to empower someone to say, hey, listen, you actually have significant control over your moods, you know, what you eat, how you move your body, uh, it, it releases certain neurochemicals or it stops the release of certain neurochemicals it allows your body to function kind of optimally um but again it's it's just kind of a layered uh kind of a discussion so some people are going to say like no i've tried to exercise and i'm still miserable you know emotionally or i've i've tried to to change my diet and it doesn't make any difference this is just the way that i am and there's nothing i can do about it so i might as well enjoy my candy bars in my Coke if I'm going to be anxious and depressed all the time. And, um, but, but there are plenty of, plenty of studies and plenty of research out there that would say, hey, listen, change, change the way you eat. Eat, 
you know, eat less of a high sugar diet and exercise more, and you will get positive outcomes when it comes to things like anxiety and depression. I always kind of felt like that was the problem with any kind of self-improvement idea whatsoever, whether it was nutrition or if it was exercise or if it was personal finance, a certain group of people is probably going to feel blamed and accused. Sure. I try to view this more as a positive message that things are within your control before maybe you felt shackled and chained. and. Maybe in some ways you are, mm-hmm. but you have maybe a little bit more freedom. And I guess I personally knew that as a message of hope. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think most people are going to be receptive to that message. Uh, so just because they're a, a very, very small, maybe minority of people who, who revolt at that message and say, well, that you're blaming me, you know, um, that doesn't mean we should just toss it out because again, I think the vast majority of people want that encouragement, right? And again, it needs to be done charitably. It needs to be done um, at that person's level. And even the people who are all the way down at that bottom level where they can't tolerate any sort of like um, personal accountability, uh, well, we'll find a, we got to find a way to reach them. You know, now's not the time to hit them with, you can do it. Yes, you can do it. You know, maybe they don't want to hear that. Maybe they just want to hear... Maybe they need healing from something. I don't know, yeah. right? And, and I think the best doctors are going to be the kind of doctors that can empower their patients to make changes. Because a doctor, whether it's a dentist, chiropractor, medical doctor, they're not there to, to, to make you healthy in the sense that they're going to live their life for you. Like your dentist is not going to come over and brush your teeth for you. Right. What your dentist can do is educate you on why it's really important. What do the studies show about tooth decay and whatever and and here's how you combat those things and uh, if you have a problem with that or you don't think that it's possible well then they find a way to make it possible for you right like oh you're brushing your teeth once a week why don't you brush them twice this week you know you have to brush them three times tomorrow just brush them twice this week and build on that progress so I think it's something I struggle to continue to improve on is just finding out where my patients are and then where can I get in there and sort of walk with them, help them, you know, feel like, yeah, I can take control of my life because ultimately, ultimately at the end of the day, each person is accountable for their own choices that they make. No one's going to live your life for you and you shouldn't want someone to live your life for you, right? Well said. Uh, Michael Crichton, I just love the author, Michael Crichton, was a medical doctor and he came to the conclusion at a certain point in his life in his book, Travels, that his health was his responsibility, mm-hmm. that the doctor is his helper. And the other healthcare practitioners, say a nurse or a PT or a therapist, they're his helpers. They might be experts, but ultimately the responsibility lay with him. And I, I think we both said that that should be an empowering message where sure. we walk with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me uh, shift back to one or two of these diet plans. Uh, when I was studying nutrition, I think I saw something like 24 documentaries. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of them were on veganism. And these were very, very, very popular. And I, just for a while, I couldn't find a documentary on paleo or keto mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. anything else uh, the vegans really kind of ruled the world mm. and the vegetarians. Could you speak to veganism, pluses and minuses? And if I am going to be a vegan, mm-hmm. which means no animal protein, 
and for some, no animal products like right. honey. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the healthy way to be a vegan? Uh, should we all be vegan, as some people would say? Yeah, I, I'll admit I'm not going to be able to, to talk extensively or well about this. Um, you might have a, you might have a, get a friend who's like a vegan and bring he or she on here, him or her, and, and let them kind of talk about this. I, I have no experience eating as a vegan or even a vegetarian for that matter. Um, I almost went vegetarian in chiropractic school after I read the China study. I just bought into it. I'm like, oh, meat is bad. Meat is killing, uh, killing America, killing the world. If I want to live to be a centenarian, you know, a hundred year old person, and I want to be vibrant in the, all that all my life, I need to stop eating animal products. And I kind of did for a while. I was, um, and it was it was just kind of like, don't eat fat. You know, fat's bad. I uh, I started like tossing out egg yolks. I was just eating egg whites. Mm. Um, so I wasn't vegan, obviously, but I was vegetarian, but I was still eating eggs. So what do you call it? Ovo, ovitarian, or I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty much, I think that's the word, ovo-vegetarian. Yeah. So, but no, I, and then, you know, then I started reading into why the China study was not the best research. And I can't, I can't go into that extensively now, partly because I don't exactly remember the ins and outs of it, at least not enough to comment on it here, you know, people can look into it themselves and, and sort of make up their own mind. But I will say that in my personal experience and the education, particularly that I had at the time, I felt like, yeah, the China study isn't necessarily like conclusive evidence that should cause me to just stop eating meat and animal products uh, altogether. And so I didn't. I went back to eating you know, meat is a part of a well-balanced, like, fruits and vegetable heavy and lean meats. And, and then now, not so lean meats, right? Keto's got me understanding more than, like, hey, listen, just organ meats are, are a good thing. Fatty organ meats are an okay thing. Saturated fat isn't necessarily, like, the devil in disguise or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not into veganism or vegetarianism. But again... You gotta approach that subject with compassion because there are a lot of people, in fact, I'd probably argue the majority of people who eat as vegans, particularly, and even as vegetarians, yeah, they do it for health reasons, but they also do it for like what they would consider to be socially conscious reasons, right? Animal cruelty, the poor treatment of animals, which I'm, I'm all with you on that. Like if we wanted to talk about poor quality meats being raised in like chicken farms and, and beef factories, meat, meat packing plants or whatever, um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of evidence out there that it's very inhumane and it's not good for we, the consumers of those products, what they're doing to these animals and the stressful conditions they live in. So there are a lot of people who, yeah, they, they don't eat meat for reasons of kind of social consciousness and that kind of a thing. So I respect that. Um, from a strict nutritional standpoint, you know, there are too many vitamins and minerals that you aren't going to really get if you're eating a meat-free diet. And so if I'm trying to eat balance, if I'm trying to tap into all that nature has to offer me in terms of vitamins, minerals, and things that my body needs, then I need meat. I need meat, in my opinion. So You know, something that I kind of dug into, I, I was vegan for eight months, mm -hmm. and I did my best. And uh, I was planning on going a year, and I honestly just couldn't take it anymore. And uh, I just collapsed during Holy Week, mm -hmm. and I wound up eating fish, and I wound up eating eggs, and things like that. And 
what wound up happening was is that Sunday I went to Chipotle twice and I got a steak burrito and then I went back six hours later and I got a chicken burrito and it was just the most magnificent thing. I think if somebody came to me and said, I want to be a vegan, I personally would say, I think you should research this and you should do this all the way up. You should really get the B12 vitamin shots. You should just do this in the healthiest way imaginable. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be a vegan who's thriving on Pepsi and Twinkies and bread. Right. Don't do that. Sure. Be the healthiest version. Mm -hmm. uh, find the vegan weightlifter who's right. jacked, or right. find like the vegan long distance runner yeah. who is lean and fit and fast. And they're out there. Yeah, yeah they they're are. Out there. They are. And the thing is, just do everything right. Yeah. But. That's kind of the whole premise of this podcast sure. is, is uh, we're aiming for optimal yes. nutrition, not something else. So, okay, so I guess uh, let's shift to carnivore. Yeah. Uh, carnivore takes traditional nutrition advice and yeah. turns it on its head. Yeah. Uh, certain advocates, Dr. Sean Baker, Michaela mm -hmm. Peterson, mm -hmm. uh, if you look at them, I mean, they're fit, they're beautiful. Maybe that's just Instagram filters. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you say about carnivore? So, like like veganism, you know more about carnivore than I do. Um, Dr. Baker, Dr. Peterson, uh, Paul Saladino, I think, is another one you mentioned here on your... Like, they could probably mop the floor with me, right? Does that mean I should drop everything I'm doing and, and eat the way they eat? Not necessarily, right? Um my only concerns with carnivore diet are the same concerns I have with keto diet, um, and that's lack of variety. Mm. It's the same concern I have with lack of with or with veganism or vegetarianism. Is it's lack of variety. Mm. So does that mean that just because I eat more paleo that I'm eating every fruit and vegetable under the sun? No, a vegan or a carnivore diet person or someone who does keto could point a finger at me and say, your diet's not that varied. You eat the same fruits and vegetables the majority of the time. You're a blueberry kind of a guy. You're a broccoli and cauliflower and spinach and kale kind of a guy. You're not eating arugula. Um, you're not using herbs ad nauseum. You're not eating papaya and all, you know, like, true, touche, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I guess that would be a valid point, but I don't know. I just when I when I think about just eating meat and meat alone, um, it sounds very like I don't know. It it seems kind of fad like in the sense that it's like whoa, that's really unique. That sounds kind of intense, you know. Again, it's got what a good plan has, and that's like. These, these rules that's like, if you venture outside of this, then you're no longer a carnivore. You're no longer in the carnivore diet. <laughs> like, a cheetah doesn't, like, go around and eat papaya or whatever. Like, a cheetah's eating meat, and a lion's eating meat, and they don't take breaks to go munch on flowers with the giraffes or whatever, uh, tree branches. So, it, yeah, I, I don't know. I, again, you could talk more on carnivore diet. I know you did it, are doing it. I can't even remember um, but you could tell us more about like how that made you feel. And mm. was that the best you've ever felt in your life was eating nothing but meat? I, I felt pretty good on it. I've been mm -hmm. on this roughly uh, for 16 months, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, roughly about 98% of the time with breaks. Uh, you just yeah. gave me a delicious smoothie that had strawberries and 
bananas and almond milk and things like that, and it was fantastic. Uh, honestly, it gave me a sugar buzz. <laughs> really yeah. did. Uh, Just because you're so used to eating 0% right. fruits and vegetables and carbs. Yeah. So um, I, I've enjoyed it, but I've also lately thought maybe I should go off of it for a month and just mm -hmm. go strict paleo yeah. and uh, just see how I feel at the end of the month. I Anymore, I'm doing all this as a grand experiment. Sure. And the reason is because I, I still consider myself paleo. I started that six years ago. I did keto for roughly two years within that. Right. Uh, I've fooled around with Whole30 and Bulletproof. I was vegan for eight months mm -hmm. before I did any of these other things. Uh, I, I, I bid on so many different diet plans. The reason I'm interviewing you is just because uh, I, I, just anymore, I would tell people, do all of your research mm -hmm. and try something for a month right. and see how you feel and don't cheat. Yes. And then at the end of the month, if you feel better, keep going. Sure. If you feel worse, well, pick one of the other plants. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just over the dogmatism yeah. uh, that some people establish. Like some people who are you know, certain things, it's kind of like joining ISIS. Right. It's their way or the highway. Right, right. Yeah, not getting swept away by the dogmatism is important. I will say, though, that the one thing I like about all these diets, and we've mentioned this a couple of times already, is that they are plans. They are, you know, stick to this or you're not really following the plan kind of plans. And I like that because I think... To live intentionally is about the most important thing you can do. You have to know what you're about and you have to stick to that even when it's difficult, right? Because no matter what happens in life, you're going to be hit with a curveball or you're going to be blindsided by something or you're just not going to really feel like sticking to your guns today on something. But you have to remind yourself of like who you're about or who you are, what you're about and why. And so... You know, for you, you've been doing carnivore diet, and you're doing it. You're not just like, yeah, I'm carnivore diet this week. You know, no, you've been it for 16 months. You did veganism for eight months or whatever. You like so that that's part of who you are. Right? It's like just a testament to you. You are so intentional in other areas of your life. It's really not difficult for you to say, yeah, I'm going to do this, and then you do it. Right? So many people say, oh, I'm going to do this diet, and then they don't do it. It gets hard and then they just throw in the towel. I think that's a sign of a bigger problem is just not having the desire or not living with the intentionality to follow through on something. If you're someone who eats paleo but has your day where you say, well, we're going to this barbecue and I'm going to have this pot, like fruit salad with marshmallows in it, whipped cream on top, and I'm going to eat some cookies and whatever, but that's who you are and that's what you're about, then do it. But if you're, but then if like Wednesday somebody brings in a plate of cookies to work and you're like, no, I, I'm like a, I already know when I'm going to quote unquote cheat. And that's like this coming Saturday, there's a birthday party. I'm going to have a piece of cake there. So I'm not going to eat these cookies right now. Well, then it's like, yeah, well, don't be silly. Come on. These cookies are right here. And Becky made them and she worked so hard on them. You're going to hurt her feelings. Okay. I'll, I better eat it. Well, Becky doesn't really care if you eat one of her cookies or not. You just say, well, I I want to make a concession, right? And now suddenly you're not operating congruently with like who you really are because who you want to be is the person who says no to those cookies, but then you don't, right? So anyway, I, it's kind of a rant, but I think <laughs> these plans are important because they give you a standard and then they give you an opportunity to like stick to it even when it gets difficult. 
right? Yeah. So no matter what you pick, I mean, if you pick carnivore diet, my question would be, how do you get, how do you sell, I mean, do you just take a lot of vitamins to get like your C and, and different Bs and your K and other stuff? Like how, how are you getting all the vitamins and minerals since you're not eating fruits and vegetables? But, uh, but then I would also say, but hey, you know what? You're doing it. It's what you're about. Um, you're sticking to it and, and that's admirable. Right, that's maybe more admirable than the person who eats paleo but kind of flakes here and there because you know they just don't really hold themselves accountable. I don't know. Not terribly committed. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just a big fan of just Jocko Willink's whole idea that discipline equals freedom, mm -hmm. and I, I've just found that whenever I cheat, well, then I want to cheat again, and I want to cheat the next day, and the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, sure. and then pretty soon I just feel like that sugar junkie that we yeah. were talking about earlier where you're just riding a roller coaster of high crash, high crash, high crash. And I, I just, I find that to be enslaving and I just, I really personally don't like it. Right. Um, but I think commitment, I think is very, very tough for people. I will say, I think whenever I commit to anything, what I've heard other people say is that's when you're going to get challenged mm -hmm. and that's where things are hard. I mean, if you start to put your budget under control, you're probably gonna get a flat tire that week. Yeah. And then have to pay $100 to get a flat tire fixed. Um, and that's just how it goes. Just expect to get challenged. Yeah. Expect to get contradicted. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be fun when it happens. Sure. Um, that, that's just kind of what I've read on the subject of um, commitment. Yeah. Can Let's, you say plan for spontaneity? Is that enough of an oxymoron to be kind of intriguing enough to be like, you have to plan for spontaneity, right? You yeah. Know, like sometimes life happens and you can do your best to plan, plan, plan. But sometimes you, I think it's healthy to just go with the flow sometimes. But that's why for me, I, I know at the beginning of my week where I'm going to have a situation that might call for nutritional flexibility, right? And, and so I'm ready for it. What I'm not going to do is wake up every day and be like, what am I going to eat today? I don't know. Let's just see what comes across my my plate and, and I'll just eat it, you know? But, um, so, so yeah, there's a degree of spontaneity that's necessary, but, uh, but not too much. Cause then you just, you just go with what, what the flow and you end up eating what everybody else is eating. And that's that standard American diet, which right. we don't need to talk about that. You just, just look around and see people who are eating the standard American diet and how vibrant and healthy they are. It's yeah. Not a good not situation. Well, and in terms of making a plan, it's mm -hmm. uh, a food plan is just simply a, uh, it's like a financial budget sure. or it's like a schedule for your time. Mm -hmm. Or if you're taking a class, it's figuring out what you need to do to make an A. Mm -hmm. uh, we accept planning in so many different circumstances. Right. Why not the nutritional world? Right. What, what gets measured gets managed. That's right. right. That's so right. many times patients will say, oh yeah, I, I think I'm pretty hydrated. And I say, well, good. Um, over the next few days, I just want you to record how many ounces of water you're drinking. And they realize they're drinking half as much water, <laughs> if that, as they should. But in their mind, they're, they're doing fine because they just assume they are. You know, oh, I, I think I'm probably eating about 2,000 calories a day. And then they measure it and they say, wow, I'm eating 3,200 calories every day. No wonder I can't lose weight no matter how hard I exercise. So, yeah, you have to make plans, you know, to, to I don't know, to, to see where you're going, to map out kind of like where you're headed in your life. So yeah, I'm a big, big proponent, big fan of making plans nutritionally and otherwise. 
Let's shift from nutrition and talk a little bit about exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I was a kid, people said nutrition and exercise like it were a 50-50 thing. And I, I don't know. I've also heard people say, well, don't do percentages because some people would say, no, it's 80% nutrition and it's 20% exercise. And I don't know. People toss these numbers out there. But uh, I guess if you want to toss a number out there, go for it. But, mm -hmm. but other than that, I just would love to hear what would be your recommendations in terms of exercise for people? Uh, we can split the population in any way you want. Uh, part of me was thinking young versus middle-aged versus old, but you could take it in any direction you want, Sean. Well, I uh, heard one time um, that you can't exercise your way out of a poor diet. Mm. Um, and uh, I believe that. You know, it, it kind of goes back to that, oh, I ride my bike 100 miles this way, eat a pizza and drink a pitcher of beer and then ride my bike back the other way. You can maybe stay thin, but you need good fuel, right? But you also can't just eat great and then never exercise and expect to be in picture-perfect health, right? Um, I'll probably get off topic here a little bit in saying this, but I think your health is, it's, it's mind, body, and spirit. Or you could even say it's chemical, it's mechanical, it's psychological and spiritual, you know, it's, it's intellect, right? Intellectual, um, so again, just mind, body, spirit, I think is a good way to break it down. You have to take care of all of that. You can't just take care of your body through diet and exercise and then neglect to grow your mind or to grow your spirit, mm. to grow your soul, so to speak, um, to feed your soul. Uh, and expect to be vibrant and joyful and healthy and happy. We all know those gym rats that nobody wants to hang out with because it's like, oh, I can't eat that. I haven't had a gram of sugar in 27 years, you know? And I go, okay, self-righteous, Steve, like nobody wants to hang out with you. Um, or it's like, oh, I'd love to do that, but I have to go home and go to bed because I have to be up at four o'clock to work out. Don't worry, I'm going to post every detail on Instagram. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, great. You know, like we're, we're very impressed with your discipline, but you're obsessed, you know, like maybe you become a bit obsessed. Um, and I don't, I don't mean for this to sound self-righteous because, you know, but it's, I just think you, you have to be well balanced to be like fully healthy, right? So you can't focus like so much energy importance on just some of these areas. You have to pay, I think, adequate attention to all of the areas of what makes a person well-rounded and makes them healthy. So nutrition is just a small part of that. Exercise is just a small part of that. Now, if you, I mean, we could talk more about like what good exercise looks like for, for different categories of people, ages, you know, um, and that would, yeah, that'd be a great conversation to have, but I think it's important that people realize like don't focus so strictly on it that you neglect the other areas of your life, you know, the relationships, the community, which is a big part of that psychological and spiritual health is being someone who like lives in community with other human beings you know like i'm just isolated I put on my headphones i go to the gym i do my thing i'm super healthy right no you look great with your shirt off but you know you're not happy probably i mean maybe you're happy while you're there at the gym but um but we were created to live in community too so you gotta feed that side of you so don't let one area negatively affect you in another area. That's a, I mean, it's a possibility. Gotcha. So don't put maybe 
too much, I don't know, fundamentalism into exercise, but look at the comprehensive balance of life. Yes, in my opinion, yes. I would say so. So a huge chunk of really what I'm hearing you say is, is that we've talked extensively about nutrition. We've looked at a wide variety of plants that are out there, and I got you going on exercise, but really the thing that struck you as more important was just this whole concept of balance, balance in life, uh, which includes your emotional life, your family, your community, uh, your not being obsessed, Mm -hmm. where I have to go to bed at nine o'clock every night so that I can always get up at four. If that's my routine, that's fine, but Mm -hmm. you should not be a slave to this routine. Right. You should not become vain or self-obsessed with these things. Uh, Health is a priority. It's not the number one priority. Um, there's so much material, Sean. I, I'm just very grateful to you for this interview so far, but also just am looking forward to doing a second one, mm. a second one where we can go into greater detail about things like nutrition or, excuse me, exercise, sleep, water, mm-hmm. uh, community, balance in life. Yeah. Uh, what would be some other major topics like that that we could delve into to develop a comprehensive picture for people well you know just um just defining health right like i think it's a question you know we have is how do how do i be as healthy as i can be and i think before we answer that question we have to answer like or define health like what is health and that's where we get into just the balance that's needed so some people would say again mind body spirit or some people i know would break it into quadrants, which I agree with and say there's a a mechanical or a physical quadrant, there's a chemical or nutritional quadrant, there's an energetic quadrant where sleep would kind of fit into that, and and then there's like a spiritual and psychological quadrant. So, you know, just prayer and being in community and, and, um, you know, those kinds of things. And uh, yeah, there's just so much more we could talk about. I would love to yeah, sit down and, and do this again. Because I feel like, yeah, we hit nutrition pretty well. Um, maybe we left some things unanswered. I certainly am not uh, an expert on nutrition, but hopefully I possess enough basic knowledge that your listeners you know, gleaned a little bit of, of wisdom or, or insight from what we just spent time talking about. But yeah, if we could come back and get more into like the, the other many things that go into making a person optimally healthy... Uh, it'd be awesome. I'd love to do it. I'm excited to do that. And uh, as far as experts go, sure, I've read a lot of nutrition books by experts, but you are the only expert that I know personally. So that's why I use that word expert. I For now, let's, let me conclude with just one question. Yes. Um, you are 100 years old. Ah. Uh, you are sitting on the front porch of your house and your wife is holding your hand and you are surrounded by your children and your grandchildren, and maybe even some great-grandchildren. And people say, Grandpa, tell us about what was good and wonderful about your life, at least in terms of health mm-hmm. and nutrition, and what advice would you have for us? If, if you didn't have too much time and you had to sum things up, uh, what would you reflect upon? Great question. I have some ideas, but I think we'll hit that next time. Have a little cliffhanger for your listeners. (laughs) Tune in next time for Sean's answer to that question. Fair enough. Thank you very much, Sean. Thanks, Tim.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. Part 2 with Sean will occur at another point. The biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to share this episode with your friends. The other biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to check out my books on Amazon. There's Money for Teens, A Guide for Life. And then there are two thrillers, The Conspiracy of 1869 and then the dystopian novel, The Forbidden Book. This podcast is in no way meant to provide legal, financial, nutritional, exercise, or any other kind of advice. When I speak to Sean, I am getting his opinions, and I share those opinions with you, but you need to do your own research before implementing any of these crazy ideas that he and I both have. Thank you once again. Until next time.